All right, welcome to episode eight, the final Morpheus podcast. We have decided on the name change. We are waiting for it to clear legal to make sure that someone from far, far away doesn't sue us into oblivion. Uh, uh, you sound so grown up when you say that. We're waiting for legal. You sound like a real company. Yeah. Well, with us today, Harry and I have Bob Stanley, better known to you on Twitter as Prop Holiday. Hi, Bob. How's everybody doing? How's it going? Bob is, as you would uh, gather from his name, a prop betting specialist and a good friend of the show. And of course, Harry D'Agostino, whose hair matches his shirt in sort of a weird Charlie Brown duo tone kind of way. That's what I was going for. What's up, Harry? How's everyone yeah, doing? It's what everyone's going for. All right. So this week is a special week. We're going to be doing two shows. We're going to be doing a show today talking about wild card super week and last night's national championship and then we're going to be doing a show on friday where we preview the divisional round and specifically bring old bobby back to talk to you about some props some ways that you can make some money during the game and uh if there are blowouts that's what keeps the game interesting so let's get into it we're going to start off with roll tide alabama osu last night uh, Alabama is either an eight or an eight and a half point favorite, depending on when you get it. They end up winning 52-24. Uh, beginning of the game looks like it's going to be like a slugfest, right? Ohio State's putting the ball in the end zone. Alabama's putting the ball in the end zone. And then all of a sudden, the tide just turn on the gas and roll over OSU. Uh, I thought you were going to say you're, I thought you were going to say the tides turned and I was about to quit for that pun. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have kids yet so I don't get to do dad jokes. Uh but we're going to mom always taught me to serve guests first. Uh so Bobby, talk to me. Which side we we discussed this at the end of the, uh our pre, our previous conversation which happened Saturday before the games. Did you have Bama or OSU with the points? Um, with the points, I actually liked um, I liked OSU. I thought they were going to keep it close. They did for about a quarter, um, and, and then it, it really wasn't much of a game. Um, I also liked the under. Um, I, I thought we were going to see a little bit more defense, uh, but that, I mean, it, it wasn't even close to that. Obviously, the story of the game being Devontae Smith, I mean, he had arguably the best uh, college football game for a wide receiver ever in the national championship by halftime. Um, my my play last night was really going to be on Justin Fields. Uh, I, I saw him having a, what could be a performance that makes the number one overall pick questionable. Um, we didn't see that from him. But um, it, you know, overall, the, the story really is about Alabama and, and obviously Nick Saban continuing his dominance going for, for seven national championships. So, Harry, who did you have with the points? Well, I had OSC with the points, but I am from Ohio, so I had to just ride them for, for my own sanity. Uh, but I, I took the over. I thought we were just going. I was thinking that OSC was going to carry more of the points, but luckily out, Nick Saban wanted to make a point. Didn't take his foot off the gas, really, until the last, the two, the last, the, until the last two drives. So My friend had, the alternate, had an alternate of uh, 80... Two and a half, I think it was, or eighty-four. So he got. He wasn't very happy by the end of the game with a total of eighty-two. Yeah, 
Well, so I'm I'm gonna do a little not so humble brag. I got both of these. I had Alabama in the over, which uh, the over looked really good from the beginning, and Alabama minus eight and a half didn't look so good. And then with about two minutes left in the first quarter, all of a sudden uh, Alabama and the over looked pretty good. And then Alabama took their foot off the gas, and the over 74 and a half ended up covering by a point and a half. So let's talk, Bobby, you brought up the two individuals that, that I want to talk about, uh, Fields and Saban. And so we can obviously, um, we can get into the other individual performances, but Nick Saban passes Paul Bear Bryant, seven national championships. Uh, is there any reason if you're Nick Saban that you are ever, ever, ever leaving Alabama or is this a Coach K at Duke situation? You have to ask, is it even fun anymore for him? I mean, it's he, he's really rolling through college football. They're in the conversation every single year. Um, there's talks now of Bill O'Brien coming on next year. I don't know if you guys saw that. As uh, I think he's going to replace Sarkeesian as the offensive coordinator. I don't know. They mentioned that briefly yesterday, uh, I think, in the – in the commentary, but um, yeah, man, it's, it's, he, he's it. I, I, I can see it being a coach K situation where he just never leaves and goes out kind of as a guy who could park his car in the middle of the street in Alabama and never get a ticket. He's just, he's, he's get the Kobe Bryant treatment in LA. He can do as he pleases. Yeah. He's getting a statue. No question about it. Harry, let's talk about Justin Fields. Um, I'd say if not unanimous, at least consensus, top five pick going in um well i think top five after not, the clemson least, game i think before the clemson right. game you're, you're looking going, at at least first round but to, right not, going into this game now i i happen to think that fields going in the top five at all no matter how he played in this one would have been insane looking at the teams with the top five picks assuming jacksonville takes trevor lawrence um for for miami to spend on Justin Fields. Um, Atlanta has said, or at least it's been indicated that they're not as interested in Fields. They're interested in a kid out of BYU whose name is escaping me right now. Um, Mac Wilson. Mac Wilson. Uh, so wouldn't, what do wouldn't you think, it be a Harry? Jets what do you think about if they took Justin Fields? A quarterback it, it people aren't quite move. sure about. Yeah, it, it would absolutely be a Jets move. Um, <laughs> and it, it would just, I look, who knows? But what do you think this game did, if anything, to Justin Fields' draft stock? Well, I think I think it definitely hurt it, especially from just the just the surface. But you also have to look at some of the pieces that that OSU weren't missing to start the game, but were missing that got hurt during the game, right? Uh, you have Trey they Sermon. They lost their tail right? back. Yeah. That did give us the opportunity to hear the name Master Teague blared all over the country 70 to 80 times. And personally, every time that I wasn't like really paying attention, I thought that Master P was running the ball for Ohio State, which like sounds like whatever. Anyway, by the way, if you don't know who Master P is, you suck. Um, but Master P was like a professional level basketball player uh, and had like tryouts for the Magic and so, like, I don't know, maybe, like, Master P, but it was Master Teague the third. So, like, is Master P old enough to have had a kid who's had a kid who's now, like, 19 years old? I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. But, uh, yeah, 
I think that speaks well to Harry's point about OSU. <laughs> but yeah, that that you know, Sermon kind of blew up this year, kind of the second half of the season in not having him. He's been such an integral part to their to their game plan. Or I mean, their season was seven games long, but still dropping a guy like that in the first play, I think, really does affect the offense. And it kind of forced Fields to. They couldn't rely on the run game as much, and Alabama knew that. And I think the second point with Fields is that the OC, in my opinion, kind of kind of wimped out, starting with like halfway through this the second quarter, more towards the end of the second quarter. But when you're down three scores at the start of the second half, and you're like still running three runs to go three and out, like mm-hmm. something. If Urban Meyer was so still that, there, do you think Urban Meyer would have ever let that happen for him to roll well, over the, like the that? Question is, he would have went down swinging. Yeah. <laughs> is, is this, does this speak to Justin Fields? Does the OC of Ohio State know something that we might not have known about Justin Fields and the sort of thing that we have seen happen with big time program quarterbacks in the past where, yeah, it's great that you throw for. 50 touchdowns and two interceptions and 80 million yards because all of your receivers are Ohio State open or USC open or Alabama open. And when you get to the pros, especially if you are a high pick, you're not going to have that kind of protection. You're not going to get to drop back, you know, five steps, have time to contemplate existence and then lob the ball up. Uh, And in a lot of cases, they're going to ask you to, to shoulder the weight, whether you should or not. So, are we are we looking at a a situation where Justin Fields comes out and is asked to do more than he is capable of doing because of the strength of the program he's coming from? Well, I think we got we got a good glimpse. We got we saw some good throws by Fields. That the touchdown on their last drive that got called back, I mean one of the ones that got called back was he threw it right where it needed to be in tight coverage. I really think the OC didn't let him let him shine. The the pass in the first half to the tight end, the one-hander over the middle of the field. I mean, I was watching it. Alabama on the ends with Patrick Sertain, his son, if you remember Patrick Sertain. He's one of the top corners. He's he's one of the top corners uh in this upcoming draft, but they were giving him the middle of the field wide open. So that when he laid that in there to the tight end over the top, I think it was their first, it was probably their first scoring drive. I said, okay, there's something here. There's something for Fields where if the puck, if it breaks down, he can take off with his legs. They're giving him something on the um, in the middle of the field. But everything on the edges, he may not be able to get. But uh, like you guys said, it it seemed towards the end of the first half, they were running, they were down two or three scores, running the ball, looking to kill the clock, hoping they don't give the ball back to Mac Jones because Devontae Smith was going to, I mean, he was at that point unstoppable. It was it, it was a lot of fun to watch as someone who didn't bet that way. Uh, seeing Devontae Smith and Najee Harris put on a show like that. Where does where does Mac Jones fall for you? So this this is a guy who had a Joe Burrow-esque season uh, and was, I believe, the most accurate passer in college football um, and and wasn't just throwing out routes and wheel routes, right? This guy was throwing the ball down the field. Yeah. Um, you know, no one's talking about Mac Jones, you know, even being one of the first three quarterbacks taken. When you look at, I don't know if you saw the pictures with him smoking a cigar with his shirt off. It's not very impressive. 
Um, but he is someone who he's not going to light up a combine. Obviously, he has one year of production similar to a Joe Burrow, and he has the best weapons in college football. I mean, this offense is on par with last year's LSU offense. Um, so could he be a late? Are these the are these the type of players that fall in the late first round? Maybe you trade up in the beginning of a second round to take a Mac Jones. Can he sit behind a Matt Ryan for a year at the beginning of that second round? I don't know, but um, you see something there. Obviously, he's not wowing you with his his physical attributes, but he he can sling it, and um, he may not ever see weapons like this in the NFL again. So let's keep that in mind when you're you're projecting a Mac Jones. But um, there's something there. There's something to take a chance on. I would say late first early. And you can't you right. can't deny that that Alabama receivers were almost classically Alabama open versus an, a struggling OSU defense. While OSU oh. receivers were like the what that one uh that sixty yard touchdown throw or whatever, there was a linebacker covering a wide receiver. It was, covering yeah, this, right? This was actually Chris Borland's brother. I don't know if anybody remember Chris Borland from the Niners. I think that was his brother. Borland played at Wisconsin. This kid was at OSU. But Leah, like you said, there's no reason a middle linebacker should be covering Devontae Smith yeah. in the you know, twenty five yards down the field. I um, just remember I, Al Borland from home improvement. <laughs> Similar body shape to Mac Jones. Uh, if um, if you take a look at this Alabama wide receiver court, I would say it, in and of itself, is probably better than some bottom five wide receiver cores in the NFL. And that's I, I don't think I'm I'm being too boisterous saying that they're that talented. Uh, Waddle, I don't know if you guys caught Waddle playing. Uh, he played a couple snaps. He caught a slant over the um, caught a slant over the middle. I think on the first drive, the first score, and then he limped off. And everybody on Twitter went nuts, saying, "How could you let this kid play? You have to save him from himself." Um, I think he just wanted a couple snaps. Well, it's the same thing. The it's the it's the same thing with Alabama's quarterback. He was obviously injured halfway through the second or third quarter, and they were going to win no matter what at that point. OSU's offense couldn't do anything, but. I mean, it's the it's the national championship game of the of the year before you get drafted. It's gonna be tough to get these kids not to play, even against, oh, uh, against the better judgment. So next year, right now, we'll we'll finish this with some betting because we are degenerates and this is a betting sports podcast. Um, right now, next year, even money, Alabama against the field. I read they have the best incoming class again. Not that they're going to play that many freshmen. I even money. I would probably take Alabama versus the field. I think it's. it's I think it's tough. Uh, tough to bet. So I might not love it at even money. I think I need a value or something as unpredictable as upcoming eighteen or nineteen year olds. But it's it's tough to bet against them. I mean, there are they are they. You know, I don't even know who their quarterback is next year, but are they uh, are they a mortal lock for college football playoff next year? Are they? I, I mean, I don't I don't think that they're a mortal lock to win the SEC. Meaning you like um, you like Georgia, you like what Florida? Meaning, meaning meaning Florida played them tough in the SEC championship game. Georgia is always always a threat kirby smart always gets that team up to play and you know georgia uh, georgia sec is is one of those one of those conferences it's the conference right everyone in the sec can play um 
I don't know if you're if you're giving me even money in the field, I'm not taking Alabama to win the championship next year. I'm taking the field. I feel I feel like it's the same old song and dance though. Every year we're like, oh, is Alabama gonna be as dominant as they were last year? Is this freshman class as well, they strong? Don't, and then they come back. They don't have to be as strong, but when you're giving the entire country, um. You say be the entire country, you're really saying it's probably six to seven teams. It's like you said, it's Florida, it's Georgia, um, Texas. I think the kids coming back, Sam Ellinger, um, it's Auburn. It's there's a there is the rest of the country. It's about six or seven teams that can probably compete. I'm sure Clemson's going to have a uh, the kid that got a couple starts this year from Clemson. He'll make them competitive. Um, if you're giving me Nick Saban versus everyone else. Even money, maybe not even. No, like you said, maybe not even money. But uh, I, I think they'll be in the playoff. I'll, I'll say that much. I also would put them in the playoff. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Roll down tide. Way to not have one of your crazy fans poison some trees. Uh, let's move on. NFL Wild Card Weekend was a bloodbath. Really, for me, really awesome. Yeah, well, so really, really awesome, and then really kind of less than awesome, right? Saturday, uh, other than the Bears-Saints game, there were there were two really good games on Saturday. Colts-Bills, uh, Bucks-Redskins, so I have to own it again. I got absolutely smoked this weekend. Um, I won my money line bets, but I lost on the Bills with the points. I lost on the Bucks giving points. I lost on the Bears getting points. I lost on the Browns getting points. I lost on the Titans getting points. And I lost on the Seahawks giving points. I lost all six against the spread. Why are you people paying attention to this podcast? Oh, I, I know we um, we asked for our locks of the weekend of the weekend oh last week with with intern oh. Joe, and he took Bills with the spread. I took Seahawks with the spread, and you took Bucks with the spread. So we again we yeah. reverse sweeped it. It's a winning model. Yeah, if you I think. Us. Yes, I, I think that there there are. If this were feudal Japan, we'd all have to commit ritual suicide right now after that. So since Harry and I are clearly unfit to hold office, uh, I'm gonna temporarily twenty fifth amendment us. Bobby, how'd you do this weekend? What what were the what were the games that really stood out to you from a betting perspective? So I went three and four in my plays for player props. I wasn't too uh, I wasn't too happy with how it turned out. One of them was being Antonio Brown. I think over Antonio Brown over fifty nine yards receiving. He had thirty six on the first drive, and I said, okay, this is I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling in the driver's seat. He finished only with uh, with two receptions on the day as Brady pivoted over to to Cameron Brake, but. Um, one of my favorite plays was actually the first game of the week. It was um, it was Naheem Hines over 48 and a half rushing and receiving yards combined in that um, in that Indy Bills game. Um, he it was very quiet all game. He had about 13 yards combined at half. Um, I, I saw the rookie J- uh, Jonathan Taylor saying, "Are you really going to put the Are you really going to shoulder the load on a rookie?" Which is what they needed to do if they wanted to keep Josh Allen off the field, is really control the clock in the first half. And Frank Wright did that. Then come the second half, they started to trail a little bit as Josh Allen took off. And that's where we saw Naheem Hines really get the third down back. He caught a couple passes. He took one or two rushes over the left side for about 22, 24 yards. He had back-to-back plays. 
So that ended up hitting uh, in the fourth quarter, but it was a it was a clean sweat from the second to the third. Um, the 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 game of the weekend I thought was probably um, Rams in Seattle. We had no idea what to expect going into it as Sean McVay kind of played it close to the chest with with Walford or Golf last minute. What were they going to do? Um, I had two plays this game. One was Cooper Cup over 52 and a half yards receiving. He managed to hit that. Um, the second one was Van Jefferson over eight and a half yards receiving. He uh, he actually didn't end up getting in the game. I knew if he was in eight and a half with his depth of target being around that 11, 12 range would have looked pretty much one catch. But they really kept the rookie out in a playoff game. But um, no, Saturday was easily better than Sunday from a from a watchability standpoint, I'd say. So that that what has happened to the Seahawks? What happened? I, I don't know which is. I mean, the bigger story is going to be the collapse of the Steelers over the last six weeks of the season. But the the sort of it it, it was kind of this gradual decline of the Seahawks where Russell Wilson was putting up Aaron Rodgers kind of numbers. DK Metcalf was putting up Randy Moss kind of numbers. Chris Carson. I mean, that team, Tyler Lockett, um, you know, and their defense played not bad, got after the quarterback, but their offense just did not show up uh, where, what, what do we think about this? What was different the last four weeks or five weeks of the season versus Seattle from the early part of the season. Harry? Well, I think I got to go back and, and listen, but I think this was a, a story we talked about every week. This, the Seahawks just were looking less and less like the first half of the season Seahawks. And it kind of culminated in this game that you know, the LA Rams weren't... I think people, including myself, wrote the Rams off too fast. Like, they saw a few maybe injuries and got and got scared about it but the Seahawks I, I I don't know what to say they've just grinded to a halt in the last six weeks I think I think defensively they picked it up in the second half of the season the the addition of Carlos Dunlap they were really able to rush the passer I'd say the last five or six weeks so defensively it kept them in games but as you guys pointed out offensively they really waned i know they had some injuries chris carson he was playing he wasn't playing we saw more uh, carlos hyde than we normally would um but I, I think the tale of this game and it rings true for brown steelers is is divisional games you're playing these opponents two times a year so you have the familiarity there obviously pete carroll and sean mcveigh are very familiar with each other but that offensive line has struggled with this rams defensive line under mcveigh um, and I think that's what we saw. And we, again, we could say the same thing, I think, for Browns and Steelers, where you're just so familiar with your opponent. You really don't want to have that first round matchup with a divisional, with a division rival. There's just, there's so much there. Um, and I think that was really the tale of, of Rams and Seahawks. Um, I, I mean, defensively, if, if you told me that in a playoff game, uh, Russell Wilson was going to complete 11 passes, I'd say, what quarter did he get hurt in? There's no way that makes sense. Um, but, you know, it, it was, and they never really got set. Even when Donald went down in the um, in the third quarter, I, I said, well, this game's over. It's just a matter of time before Russell Wilson gets comfortable again, and he never did. And that defense kept bringing outside pass rushers. They were getting help from no-name guys that aren't very um, very common for everyone at home, and, um, and, and they, they pulled it out, so... I would say the, the divisional aspect really played a key with with Rams and obviously with 
um, with Browns and Steelers. All right, so let's talk about the Browns and the Steelers. Um, the line moved all over the place on this game. Big Ben rested in week 17. He comes back. They've got all their weapons. Um, the Browns didn't have their coach. They didn't have uh, another coach. They didn't have a tight end. They didn't have their practice facility for five days last week. Baker Mayfield, you know, second-year quarterback. For me, the story of this game is Baker Mayfield. This is him putting his foot down and saying, don't forget me, right? Josh Allen, great year. Carson Wentz, everyone was talking about a couple years ago. Don't forget about me. Um, this, this is a kid who, you know, chose to go to Oklahoma and walk on and turned himself into the Heisman Trophy winner and a national champion. Um, Baker Mayfield, I think, has put himself into the conversation as a guy who you want back there when it matters. What what do you guys think about the story of this game? Is this a huge is this more about a huge victory for the Browns and overcoming obstacles and overcoming COVID? Or is this just about the beginning of the end of the Steelers? Uh, Bobby, what do you say? Could could a game have gone more perfectly for the Cleveland Browns? I mean, everything went right. If if I'm just watching this game saying, I mean, 48-37 is the score. It was never this close. Don't let the score fool you. They from from a start to a finish standpoint, I can't think of a mistake that the Browns made. And to your and to you know, you you bring up Baker Mayfield. I mean, he's he's not a guy where you want throwing the ball 40 to 50 times a game. But when you're playing with a three-score lead. And Kareem Hunt's breaking off huge chunks. You're, you know, you're dipping it off to Nick Chubb on the side. This is the type of football you can win with Baker Mayfield. Your defense is playing well and causing turnovers. You're not asking too much of him, but if he rolls out with a play action, he can obviously hit, you know, Jarvis Landry on that slant, and then Landry really takes the rest of the play. But um, I, I would just say everything went right for Cleveland in this game. I, I don't think the score is indicative at all uh, of how Pittsburgh looked. And you really have to question if this is the end of Big Ben. Maybe not the Steelers, maybe not Mike Tomlin, but but Big Ben, he he looked he never really looked in shape for even for himself at any point in his career. But um, you really saw his age, and obviously the turnovers weren't great. Well, well, look, the rookies who own the Steelers never fire anybody. I don't think Mike Tomlin is going anywhere. Yeah. Um, but Harry, what what do you? What's your read on this? Is this is this a bigger story in Cleveland or is this a bigger story in Pittsburgh? I think it's a bigger story in Pittsburgh. I don't want to take away from from Baker's game. I think he had a, a phenomenal game. Like you said, put himself really into the conversation moving forward, especially in the next next year. But I think that while he played a fantastic game, the Steelers let him play a fantastic game. Like he, he, I think he played so well because the Steelers played so poorly. I mean, 28 to nothing in the first quarter. Like, when have has that ever happened to the Steelers? Probably not in the playoffs. Definitely not in the playoffs. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think you guys know it on the head. I think it is the end of Big Ben. I just don't see. I don't see him coming back from the end of this season. Like, I. Me personally, with even without my biases, I think that the Cincinnati game really sealed the deal for Pittsburgh's end of the season. 
I mean, you have Juju mm-hmm. coming in, dancing on logos, and then the Bengals make you stop doing that because you danced on their logo <laughs> before the game. What does that do to a person? That the Bengals kill your swagger. Yeah, it, it kind of makes you wonder if he'll ever be able to really make love to a woman ever again. Or post a TikTok. Moving on. Yeah, well, well, I'm sure that's happening. Uh, let's move on to another uh, another great quarterback who got bounced. Philip Rivers leading the Colts against Josh Allen and the Bills. Um, I thought the Bills were going to win this going away. They didn't. Um, I'm going to ask the same question. Is this story more about the Colts falling short? Um, is this, I mean, actually it's, it's a different question. It's, is there a such thing as a moral victory in the NFL or the playoffs? Because the Colts were better than a lot of people thought they were going to be. And is there a such thing as a bad win in the playoffs where the bills didn't get it done the way they were supposed to? How are you, Harry, how are you feeling about this as a Colts fan and as a bills fan? Where, where do you come down on this? Well, I I just want to reiterate what I said last week about that. I was worried about this game. I didn't write off the Colts like like you and Joe did last weekend. But right, but you didn't have a reason. Yeah. We asked you why, and you were it's just a gut like, feeling. Oh, "It's a no. gut feeling." But yeah, it's a gut feeling. Yeah, uh, my COVID gut. But I think this was the Bills' defense letting it be closer than than it. I think. I think Josh Allen played it played a great game, like we expect from him. Not a fan, not a you know, an outlier, but just kind of what we expect from him this season. But the Bills' defense just wasn't wasn't their self. They weren't, you know, they weren't pestering Rivers as much as they usually do. They gave up big runs. I don't. That's not very characteristic of the Bills. I think this season especially, but I think that was the story of the the Bills. Bob, what was the takeaway from this one? I, I can't really say it's a knock on the Colts. I mean, obviously, it's, it's going to sound corny. They're the best seven seed ever in, in NFL history. But no, they are they're a very, very good football team. They, they were overlooked, I feel like, going into the playoffs. Obviously, Buffalo was storming going into the playoffs. They were averaging something like over 40 points per game the last three games. But Frank Reich had a game plan. I'm going to control the clock. I'm going to keep Josh Allen off the field. I have a fresh rookie running back who you could make the case was probably the fourth or fifth best back in the league this year. Um, and and they they played a very, very good game. I, I don't take anything really away from Buffalo other than they played a, a solid opponent. Um, like I said, I thought Taylor looked very, very good. The two-minute drill going into halftime with Josh Allen showed you an MVP caliber player. If you you know, the throws he's making on the run look like Aaron Rodgers. He's just as big as Cam Newton. I mean, he really wasn't running this much during the regular season. He ended up being the leading rusher for his team in this game. It feels like they were saving his legs really for the playoffs. They didn't want to see any injuries happen, but he he can take this team very, very deep. I hope we end up seeing that matchup with him and Mahomes. Um, I, I really take nothing away from Indy. I, I thought they were a great team this year. I hope to see Phillip Rivers back. I don't know if, if we will. Uh, I thought he played well and within himself with a good run game, but um, this this was two very good teams that really the rankings in in the playoffs didn't do justice I, and Buffalo was the victor. Um, I, I I still think Buffalo should win this week. 
Uh, obviously, we're going to get to that, but uh, I, I take nothing away from these teams. Frank Wright did a great job uh, for Indy this season, and um, I, I, I would just say Buffalo was the better team, and they, they had to grind one out. What do we what so do we think I, about I, the, the play, the down by contact versus a fumble right at the end? Though, are we all on the same page oh, here that, that that was a fumble with Zach Moss? Yeah, I think right at the end of the game. No, I remember. He was... <sighs> go ahead, Alex. You go first. I don't think it was that clear. I think gun to my head, it's a fumble, but I I don't think that it was. You don't think there's enough clear and obvious reverse it. Right. That's what they say. They say it needs to be. Well, I don't think that that's clear and obvious, but it's basically you need to see, you know, you should see it the first time. Right. That sort of smoking gun. Oh, there it was. You know, he wasn't down. And I, you know, do I think that the call was right? Probably not. But upholding it by the letter of the law where you need to have overwhelmingly obvious evidence to overturn. I don't know that that was there. I thought he was down in the moment. I, I, I thought I saw, I mean, I, I, I'm i sorry. I thought he was down after replay, not in the moment. I take that back. Um, but, yeah, no, there, there was a lot of calls this weekend where you could say, are, do we really need to overanalyze? It feels like every play gets blown dead. There's stoppage. Obviously, we need to fit in more Baker Mayfield progressive commercials. But every every single game, there's, there's so much to overanalyze. You really just want to say, like let's let's let it play out like let's let's go with what i mean obviously we have this for a reason but um there really is that we have a need to get it right but we also have a need to live in the moment and and it seems like we shy away from that sometimes and also momentum like what what do the colts do if there's not a five minute break there i mean they keep the ball after it but that was a pretty big pickup you know rivers is buzzing i that kills his momentum oh yeah so I, I think also for Philip Rivers, this is one of the rare, not unheard of, but rare cases where a quarterback late in his career jettisons his team or jettisoned by his team, goes elsewhere and pads his resume, goes elsewhere and continues uh, or even plays up. Right. I think a lot of people were waiting on Philip Rivers to, you know, because he had all the he had all the weapons in the world. In, in San Diego, Los Angeles, right? He had the Keenan Allens. He had Melvin Gordon back when Melvin Gordon was good. He was throwing to people. And the last two years with the Chargers were terrible. He comes to Indy, less talent, but Frank Reich is there. And, uh, you know, in my mind, Philip Rivers was a Hall of Famer going in. Um, and, and this is a guy who, you know, late in his career, we saw it, uh, Randall Cunningham did it in Minnesota. Joe Montana did it in uh, in Kansas City, um, and I think Philip Rivers. I think Philip Rivers is coming back. I don't know, you know, I don't know if he really thinks that that indie team is a true contender. But you know, Jacoby Brissett is a decent enough quarterback. But if I'm if I'm Frank Reich, and he's already said it, that if Philip Rivers wants to come back, Philip Rivers is the starter next year. I think he'll be back. Um, all right, we've talked a little bit about Rams Seahawks. Let's talk about Ravens Titans. Uh, that was such I a felt disappointing great. game. Right. So I felt like the Titans getting points at home, uh, some like was three and a half. Um, you know, I figured that they would at least cover or break the spread. 
Um, never in a million years would I have thought Derrick Henry would get bottled up like that. Um, you know, Lamar Jackson wasn't looking great until he broke that that 48-yard run that sort of looked to free him up. But uh, coming out of this game, my takeaway is I was not super impressed by the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, you know, I'm I, I'm not impressed with either of these two teams. Um, Harry, what's what's your takeaway here for the Ravens and the Titans? It was kind of the the Ravens kind of reverted back to kind of historical Ravens, right? Kind of a defense first team that we hadn't really seen this year. I mean, a lot of their games this year years have been shootouts or Lamar just absolutely destroying team spirits but i don't i don't know i think the titans let this one get away i think it was a winnable game but i think it's just the ravens coming in with a better uh, a better plan i mean who expected the ravens well, to come in with a defensive mindset like first and foremost best oh, de- better defense intern joe was all about the over it was intern joe was all about there's going to be 80 points scored in this game we got 33 Bobby, what what happened here? Is this anomalous? Is this both coaches doing a good job, Vrabel and Harbaugh, of shutting down the other team and taking, you know, sort of that Bill Belichick taking away their best weapon? Or was what what happened here? Well, I, I mean, ten, uh, Baltimore dared Tennessee to pass all game. They, they were loading up to stop Derrick Henry. They did a great job of it. But there were no deep shots. I, I can't think of any deep shots. A.J. Brown had one or two catches, maybe 15, 20 yards. But, there, you know, you're not trying to grab a pass interference. You're not trying to throw deep to Corey Davis, which was my worst play of the weekend. I had Corey Davis over 58 and a half yards receiving. He didn't register a catch. So that one was tough to stomach. But I, I, I looked at this um, really as a feather in the cap of, of Lamar Jackson. So the, the narrative on him was – if you play this style of football where you run first, if you get down, you're never going to win a game. And that was actually true. They, they were not able to win any games where they got down early. They were down 10 in the first quarter. They came back and won. First time that Lamar Jackson's come back from down 10 points to a victory. And you really look at it strategically, whereas um, Tennessee plays man defense, and they're one of the worst pass rushing front fours in the league. So if you're not getting home, you cannot hold coverage that long and you're going to be giving up big plays to Hollywood Brown, which we saw him have, I think, like 90 yards receiving. He had a couple really big catches. And then, obviously, the very long runs, where if your corners cannot hold long enough and you can't get to the quarterback, you're going to see these splash plays. So I came away impressed with Baltimore. I came away impressed with Lamar Jackson. Um, he definitely, you know, he got his first uh, he got his first playoff win. But But bucking that trend of if we get behind, we can still win a game. Obviously, hats off to Baltimore's defense. To be able to contain Derrick Henry like that is, you know, I, I have have we really seen that? I think Green Bay did a good job. Green Bay did an okay job earlier in the season on Derrick Henry, but that was damn near impressive. Um, so hats off to the defense. But I, I I was happy to see Lamar get the monkey off his back with, with finally winning a playoff game. All right, Bears Saints. So Saints, uh, Saints are hosting as 10.5-point favorites. I like the Bears. Um, I still like the Bears. That the it so they lost twenty-one to nine. Seven was in that guy's hands. Who was the receiver oh. who had the ball go through his arms? Mm-hmm. Right. 
Wins. It was wins. You need to do your young quarterback a favor. Okay, Mitchell Trubisky is like is like trying to rebuild his shattered life of like former coaches from the CFL and offensive coordinators and Brian Erlacher saying off like there's just you know Nick uh, Nick Foles coming in. Harry was the the first quarterback for Chicago for a couple of weeks. You have got to catch that ball. That's early on. I think it's a different game. And at the very least, I think the Bears are not losing by more than 10. That's that's one of those things that you look back and that would have made this a game. And that just ticks me off because I lost everything this week. Bobby, <laughs> what, uh, what do you take out of this? 21 for the Saints at home against the Bears. Montgomery had nowhere to run. What do you take from this? I... I mean, you're 100% right. If he makes that catch, it's a completely different game. Um, I, I was never too high on Mitch Trubisky or the Bears this season. The the monsters of the midway I, have not been that case in a very, very long time. So defensively, um, I, I also was not impressed. But it was, it was a boring game. I wanted to see more from the Saints. Every year with the playoffs, I need to see something. And every year with the Saints and Drew Brees, um, I, I mean, I think they're cursed, obviously. The past couple of years in the playoffs – They've been getting bumped out in horrible, horrible fashion. But I was waiting to see something from them. Um, you know, Alvin Kamara got a lot more touches out of the backfield versus passing game. I think that has a lot to do with Mike Thomas being back. Mike Thomas had a very good game in his return. Um, we're still seeing a lot of Taysom Hill. He, we're still getting these, these Taysom Hill packages, and I'm not sure what photographs he has on Sean Payton that we still need this much Taysom Hill. But he's there. Um I uh, it, it was it was a little bit risky for me also with Drew Brees jumping over the uh, trying to jump into the end zone from the one coming off of broken ribs about to be 42 years old. I don't know why you're doing that with a game that you, you pretty much have control over. Maybe save that for an NFC championship game. But that that one uh, kind of threw me for a loop. The the last thing I wanted to say, um, if Jimmy Graham retires, if, if Jimmy Graham is considering retirement, he should do it off the walk off one-handed run into the back of the end zone touchdown you're not yeah. getting better sign already your career than that so if he was on the fence jimmy graham hang it up you, you go off in in playoff fashion well so jimmy just to to move to jimmy graham for a second um true or false if jimmy graham never leaves new orleans jimmy graham has a legitimate legitimate shot to go to canton True. I think Jimmy Graham is a maybe not even a like Jimmy Graham is a Hall of Famer until he gets traded to Seattle. Yep. True or false? No, he he was that talented. I mean, he was Kelsey before Kelsey and 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 everything in between. Obviously, he was never the the blocking tight end um, that that Gronk is. But he for that you know four to five year stretch, he's winning jump balls. He's making everybody every every NFL player that got drafted from the fifth to the seventh or undrafted from playing D1 college basketball owes Jimmy Graham a dinner because he just, he made a career with his athleticism. He certainly could have been in Canton. I feel like if he stayed, um, but you know, now we have to watch him walk off with the, with the Chicago bears, I, his stint with Seattle. And, but I, yeah. I agree with you that that sort of Forrest Gump, Bo Jackson running into the uh, running into the tunnel 
if he'd just like gone straight into the uh, the press room and sat down with all his stuff on and announced his retirement and then like run out of the parking lot. Um, all right. So moving on to the last game, we have Buckskins. Harry, I'm going to give you the honor of roasting me for saying that the Bucks were going to come in here and Tom Brady was going to just, you know, rename FedEx Field Tom Brady Stadium. Um, yeah, I can't give you too much too much stick for that because I was also saying that Tom Brady was going to get up with just to tr- uh, prove Chase Young wrong. I mean, right. So what what did you see in this game? Did you see a letdown from the Bucks? Did you see a better effort from Washington than you expected? Or are the Bucks not as good as people like me thought they were? I think. To be perfectly honest, I think Washington played played with more heart throughout the whole game. I think Tampa kind of coasted in off the back of Tom Brady, and now people telling them, like on on talk shows, that these are Super Bowl contenders, and I think they they've got to be careful because they just, I mean, they won by eight, but Washington gets in as. The first team to be seven and nine in the playoffs. No, I think it's happened twice, has, right? Okay, Seattle well, has been and, uh, gifted their playoff berth, berth from the Eagles. Yeah. No, they were playing with house money. I, I mean, you, you could tell that they shouldn't have been there. Obviously, Alex Smith, last minute scratch. They put this. How do you say his last name? Heineke. Yeah. Um, I think. He was. St- they said on on the broadcast that he's still in college. He's taking like all these math classes and he, you know, he gets called in and um, he, he may have earned himself a roster spot next season. So he, he was a lot of fun to watch. Um, Brady's rolling. Obviously the, the Bucks, they have secondary issues. They've had them all season. They got a good front four. They can stop the run very well, but that secondary could be what keeps them out of the Super Bowl. Um, I mean, giving from up, a Tom Brady front. Giving up 306 passing yards to a, a guy who's still taking math classes. That That's never a good look. Exactly. But from from an offensive standpoint, I mean, Brady's rolling. If you're looking at the Brady-Belichick breakup, Belichick's home eating ice cream underneath the covers while Tom Brady has the best wide receiver core in the league. It's Right, and if, if anyone, I mean, in, in that question, who was more valuable, you know, I've got the Patriots in the playoffs if they're in the AFC East, if Tom Brady is there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, and not because they were any good, just because Tom Brady is that good. Bobby, I Harrison gave me 20 to 1 odds on 100 bucks 5 shows ago that the uh the Bucks would win the Super Bowl. I think you like a, my pick? I 20 to 1 odds, I think that's a great bet. Um I think they can still make it out of the NFC. I, and I and I say that because again, their secondary is their weakness. Drew Brees can't throw a ball over 25 yards. So if if you're looking at that matchup, um if they can stop Alvin Kamara, you've just stopped the Saints. Now you pivot to Green Bay and and L.A. Rams. I don't think L.A. makes it out of the next round. So let's say it's Green Bay. If you have a Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers matchup, it's going to end up being in Lambeau. But this man is not he's not not accustomed to playing in the cold. Um, So I I think it's I think they can get into the Super Bowl. Now, if you get into the Super Bowl, hedge the hell out of that bet for 20 to one and take whoever's coming out of the AFC. Harry, you want to buy me out for 500 bucks? Absolutely not. I am not scared at all 
you should be. Um, all right. So that is through wildcard weekend. Um, we're going to be doing our preview for divisional round on Friday when we talk more about props. But now we are moving to our final topic. Doug Peterson. Goodbye. So on our last show, we were talking about Doug Peterson and how he must have lost the locker room and how there were defensive players who wanted to rip his head off like Latimer in the program, having roid rage. Um, and I said, apparently incorrectly, that he must have had the OK from upstairs. Laurie must have known that he was going to toss this game because there is no way that any head coach, especially in a city like Philly, would have the balls to dump week 17 division with the playoffs on the line with, I just, I couldn't imagine that Doug Peterson had that kind of comfort with his job. And apparently he did. And apparently he didn't have the go ahead because he was fired. And I personally, I don't wish ill on anyone. And if I do wish ill on people, they're usually the Eagles. But I, I've got to, I can't feel bad about this. I don't know how Doug Peterson ever looks a player in the eye again, certainly anyone who was on that Eagles roster, and asks him and asks that player to, you know, give more, play with heart, play to the whistles. Um, so the two things I want to discuss are, uh, were you surprised by this move? And will Doug Peterson get another gig in the NFL? Has has he, this is a Super Bowl winning coach, but is he ever going to be able to command the respect of a locker room again? Harry. Well, we talked about this last week. So my thoughts are on, I, I can't imagine that. I was shocked with when I saw tweets coming out. I. I was just like you. I didn't think there was any way he could do this without some nudge, nudge, wink, wink from from ownership that that it's okay. But I mean, so why why did he do it? Did he see that he was on his way out and just wanted to give one last up yours to the Eagles? Like, no, I think I think that he. So one of two things in my mind: either he did get the go ahead and it was you know he was lied to. Um, Three things. There was a misunderstanding, i.e. he thought he was okay to do it and he wasn't. Or he really just felt so comfortable and confident that he was willing to throw the game to move up to the six pick from the nine pick. And I think it just turned out that he was not as Teflon as he thought he was. Bobby, what do you make of all this? So, I mean, after the fact they were saying that Rumors prior to week 17 is that Peterson was safe. There was rumblings the last couple of weeks of the season. Would they make a change? So it, I guess it was confirmed going into the game that he would be safe. What I don't think he expected was that he was going to lose the locker room. He completely lost it. You know, there's rumors that they had a whole defensive players back. So I, I think going into it and then also, uh, I think going into it, he thought he was safe no matter what. Um, there's also rumors he's sick of being told what to do by, uh, by Howie Roseman. Um, I think maybe he wanted to play Sudfeld the entire game and they said, no, you have to play Hertz. And then at the end of the game, he said, you know what, I'm doing what I want. I don't like being told what to do. I'm safe anyway. Here's Sudfeld. 
and how poorly that went over with the team, he completely lost the locker room. Um, how, how does he think that happens? How does he think it? So even if he is, even if Laurie comes out and says that he's safe before the game, what he's saying is his track record up till now, he's safe. I've seen him win a Super Bowl and then have two tough seasons. He, it wasn't he's safe because I've seen him ditching games and I'm okay with that. This is a whole new thing. Yeah. And I, uh, even, even if you misread ownership, and, and it's easy to play armchair quarterback, but I, I maintain that if you had said this to me beforehand, I could have seen this coming. That if you toss a division meaningful game, your players are going to revolt. They are going to, they're, they're going to turn on you. Did he, I mean, how do you not see that coming? But now Doug Peterson on the market, some kind of rumors, and I have no idea how substantiated they are about the New York Jets, which just like, if they were to hire Doug Peterson and draft Jalen Hurts, I, Justin Fields, you mean? I might have. Yeah. What did I say? Justin Fields. Justin. Right. Um, I might have to become a Jets fan just out of like the sheer insanity factor because what it like, is Doug Peterson going to coach again? Bobby. If, if Adam Gase has, if Adam Gase got a job in that long of a leash, Doug Peterson's getting a job. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, you, you have to take a look back at, at this organization. This is the second time in six years that a head coach and a GM were having a power struggle. The last one was Chip Kelly. Both times the head coach lost. So this, this owner, Laurie, obviously seems to have some favor of the GM um, in, in Howie Roseman. But to, to answer your question, I, I would say Doug Peterson gets a job. I don't think it's going to be the Jets. The Jets rumors coming out today are that they really like Robert Solly from the 49ers. He's going to bring over uh, Matt LaFleur's brother with him as the offensive coordinator. There are a lot of jobs out there right now. Um, and I think Doug Peterson definitely gets one. Harry? Well, I, I want to go back and talk about the fact that he thought he was safe. I don't, even if the, the, <laughs> the ownership comes out and says he's safe, can you feel safe as a four, ten, and one team? Like in one of the most passionate football cities in the country. In one of the worst divisions in football yeah. history. I think the argument is he got him a the, the well, there's that, but the argument is if if ownership came down and said it, then what they're saying is we're okay with this because you're getting us a better draft pick. We're looking long-term. We are not going to penalize you because of this. We are on board with the tanking. Well, then the ownership um, and Peter, coach Peter, that wasn't about how the fans right, well, and the team would react. Either that wasn't the case or it was and a mind was changed. Will he coach but again? Yes. Marvin Lewis coached this you're an NFL owner. Long, he can coach in this league. But Marvin Lewis never, we are not taught. Who's the last coach who did something like this? You don't tank in the NFL. There's too few games. There's too much on the line. It's not the NBA. You know, NBA, you can tank subtly and it's completely acceptable, especially in Philly with the 76ers. But in the NFL with 16 games and how short careers are, every single game matters. And especially with these players that are the bottom of the roster that would kill to be on a team and you're actively trying to lose, 
It doesn't sit well with your team. It doesn't sit well with your fan base. I don't think ownership got privy to what his game plan was. I don't think he goes to Lori the Friday before, you know, the Friday or Saturday before the game and says, I'm going to get a lead with Hertz and then I'm putting in Sudfeld because we really need that pick. I don't think that was discussed. I think he wanted Sudfeld the entire game and the GM said, listen, we, you got to trot Jalen Hurts out there. You can't be this obvious. And it just went so poorly with the team. I don't think they expected the blowback from the team. And if you have to choose between an entire roster and your head coach, and you've already made a decision in the past to go against the head coach with, you know, Chip Kelly in favor of the GM, um, it, it, it kind of just played out that way. I, I really don't think it could have been discussed too much up front. Uh, but anyway. I just, you're, you're probably right. The guy's got a Super Bowl ring. It's still shiny. His own, their, only one, their only Super Bowl ring in, it, in the most diehard fan city, arguably in the nation. But I I just, this, this seems like the cardinal sin of coaching to me, right? Yeah. This seems like the one thing that you do that if there is something that you, I mean, we have seen the NFL forgives pretty much everything. Okay, the NFL, you know, Greg Hardy. All right. We have seen players come back from, you know, Kareem Hunt is out there playing. The NFL is forgiving of a whole lot of stuff. Um, you know, I we, we've all heard the arguments that if Ray Rice were a better tailback when the punching incident had happened, that someone would have given him another shot. That the reason wasn't that they were outraged. It's just that they they didn't have use for him but this this feels to me i i don't know how doug peterson ever stands on you know stands up in front of that room and says give it all to me play harder and doesn't have someone stand up and tell him to fuck off he may need to take a year off to your point and just let it die down that it could very well be the case Maybe he goes and, you know, he does consulting gigs. Maybe he jumps on CBS for a couple weekends. He'll be coaching again. So eventually someone will say there is a shortage of Super Bowl winning coaches still fairly young and have good relationships. I, I don't – I think if the Jets didn't fall in love with the uh, with the defensive coordinator from the Niners, there, there's that connection there with their GM, Douglas. Um, but he'll find something. Who, uh, who do you guys think might replace Doug Peterson? Because there's two names floating around right now that are ex-Eagles. I don't know if you heard either of them. I haven't heard the ex-Eagles names. Um, so the the quarterback coach for the Chiefs right now is Mike Kafka. His name, he's a former Eagles quarterback. He's now the quarterback's coach for the Chiefs. His name is being floated around. Um, and then Deuce Staley, obviously we know Deuce. Deuce. He's, I think he's considered the assistant coach for the Eagles currently. And then he also may be the running backs coach on the side. He's a fan favorite that could buy you a year or two. If you put him in there, the fans will embrace him. You know, maybe you look at it at two years of rebuilding, see what you have in Jalen Hurts. Um, but he's a name that would go over well with the fan base from what I've read. Deuce Staley was the second best Deuce in the league behind Deuce McAllister. Yep. In the, in the, in the top two in the Deuce race. <laughs> um, I, I, I'd love to see Deuce McAllister get the job. I'm sorry, Deuce Staley get the job. 
Um, I disagree that it gives you any kind of bumper because I don't think the fans in Philly give quarter to anyone beyond the first five minutes of the first quarter. But it it makes sense. Give the job to Deuce. Give it to him. It's amazing. Give it. Darren Sproles has got to retire at some point, right? He's 73. Well, give him the job. Where's Teron Liu? He's apparently a great coach. I don't even care that he doesn't coach football. Give it to him. Whatever. Steve Kerr apparently doesn't need to have any experience to coach teams. Let's go. Well, I mean, we're seeing it now. Byron Leftwich. Byron Leftwich is considered a good offensive coordinator, and he will have a job within the next three years. Um, Deuce Staley from that kind of playing class, that playing era. Deuce was a little bit before his time, but in that same range. So I'm curious. Obviously, we want to know what happens to Doug Peterson. I'm curious who comes into that role after Doug. Um, and... and so people are saying, how do you weigh this? How do you weigh this job of all the openings? How do you weigh the Eagles? Now they're in cap hell from what I've read. You have a quarterback controversy, or maybe you have a quarterback um, resurgence project in Carson Wentz. Uh, and but you are in the weakest division in football, so you have the possibility of getting to the playoffs right away. So I, I'm curious where this ranks in that. You know, it's not the Chargers, it's not the Falcons, it's not Detroit. I mean, I, I would like how weak the rest of the division is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it says something when ownership goes through goes through coaches this way. I would uh, I would be wary. You know, you're going to be the head football coach in a football city. Uh, the link is not the friendliest place when that team is losing. No. All right. So we are now going to do our favorite favorite part of our podcast begging rich people for sponsorship money bobby you're the guest who should we beg we never decide this in advance it's much more fun to do it this way who should we beg for money this one who should we beg from uh i mean progressive seem they throw out tons of ads um i i I don't know how this normally goes subway subway seems to be rolling in the money Deion sanders is getting uh okay Deion. We're going to beg Deion Sanders for money. We want some of the subway right. money from Deion. There we we want some of the subway money. We want some of that some of that primetime Florida State jersey rolled up like late 80s, early 90s. Again, going back to the program. All right. We want some of that. Some of that Falcons, Niners, Braves money. Deion. We love you. We love cornerbacks. We love cornerbacks who play. I loved it when you played receiver in Dallas. I loved how you went and won in Dallas and San Francisco. You were just, you didn't care. Bobby, talk to Dion. I know that you guys are friends. One of the greatest athletes of all time. Only player to play in a World Series and a Super Bowl ever. Um, you know, no, it'd be great to get you on with uh, with the Morpheus app. And uh, no, we we were a fan of sports, and nobody epitomizes sports better than Deion Sanders. Harry, I mean, I couldn't have said it any better myself because yeah, Harry I'm was like six young. months old when Primetime retired. But you know what? You look good in the subway ads. You still are kicking it. We could do with some with some Dion bucks, some Dion dollars. There we the go. The hair's looking good. The hair's looking good, Dion. We we see it. It's coming in full force. You got a nice fade going now. Yep, and you could get your own segment. It would be the prime time segment on the podcast. It would be epic and amazing. Uh, All right, so that's going to be all for us. We will be back on Friday. 
once again to talk about the upcoming divisional round. Uh, follow Bobby Prop Holiday on Twitter. He'll be sharing tweets. He'll be sharing props and his thoughts as the week goes on. And uh, we'll be back with Bobby on Friday to uh, to get some insight into the divisional round. Uh, until then, I'm Alex. I'm Harry. I'm Bobby. Yeah, well, you're talking at the same time. We're out.